What's up everybody? Good morning and welcome to our Sunday morning online Water's Edge worship experience. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. For those of you that continue to share these links with people that you know, we hope it helps them. We hope that it's helping you. For those of you that continue to be generous and give online, thank you so much for doing that. It allows us to help people and serve people and love people and feed people. And we're helping a lot of people right now. By the way, if at any time during this video I stop and I start coughing, it means that I swallowed this fly that keeps buzzing around my head on accident. So hang in there with me. A few weeks ago, we started a brand new series about mean people in our life and what in the world do you do about them? I studied this information from my favorite author and pastor, Andy Stanley, and it made such an impact on my life that I thought I'd share it with you. Now, when we talk about mean people, we're not talking about those people that bug us like we talked about last week or those people that get on our nerves because here's a news flash: You probably bug people in your life and you probably get on some people's nerves in your life too. I get on my own nerves. Sometimes I just go sit on my back porch just to get away from myself because I'm getting on my own nerves. We're not talking about people that try your nerves when we talk about mean people. We're not talking about mean people. We're not talking about people that bug you when we're talking about mean people. This is what we're referring to when we're talking about mean people in our life, people that are unpredictable, people that have very fickle hearts, people that are always changing their minds and they're unkind, people that are deceptive, people that are liars and manipulators, gaslighters, people that are controlling, people that are selfish, users, people that are unkind. And we pointed this out a few weeks ago. If you and I are not prepared if we're not prepared to deal with mean people and hurtful people in our life in a Christ-like way and in a spiritual way, then you and I won't be prepared and it'll catch us off guard and we'll be forced to compensate and it'll throw us off balance. Like when someone walks up behind you and they shove you and you don't expect it, it forces you to compensate. It forces you to catch your balance. And so this is what we try to do when people hurt us in this life. A lot of times we want to get them back and we start to become just like those people that we don't want to be like we start to become just like those people that we don't like. And so if we're not prepared, then it causes us to live and act out of our character and it's just like them. Now, in the New Testament, we all know what the golden rule is. This is what we try to live our life by as Christ followers and Jesus followers. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is our mission. This is our calling. This is not an option for us as people who love Jesus. We treat people in the same way that we would like to be treated. It doesn't mean they're going to pay you back with goodness. It doesn't mean they're going to accept it. It doesn't mean it's going to change their hearts towards you or it's going to cause them to be kinder towards you. It may not even ever move them. That's not why we do that. We don't treat people in the right way to get a certain response out of them. We treat people in the loving way and in the right way because this is simply our calling as disciples of Jesus Christ. So do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But if you and I aren't prepared and if we don't stay prepared on how to deal with mean, hurtful people in our life, then sooner or later when we're off balance, we start to do this. I do unto others as someone else has done unto me. I do unto others as you have done unto me. This is revenge. This is vendetta. This is getting even. And ultimately, this makes you and I just like those people that we never want to be like. But we also pointed this out. If the mean person who has hurt you in this life, if it feels like they're at a place in this life where they're untouchable, or maybe you feel like you're just powerless to do anything about it right now in your life. Maybe it's a boss or a spouse or something going on like that. And you just feel trapped and powerless to do anything about the pain in your life that's been caused by this person. Then you and I start to do this and we pointed this out. I start to do unto others as someone else has done unto me. And so our calling is to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. But if we're not prepared, then we start to do unto others as they have done unto us. But if we can't get to those people who've hurt us, then 
then we start to do unto all people as someone else has done unto us. And this is when we become like them, the very people that we don't want to be like and the very people that cause heartache and devastation in this life and in our life. Mean people can make you mean if you're not prepared. Mean people can make you bitter and resentful if you're not prepared because when we're around mean people, we're off balance. It catches us off guard and we're forced to compensate and we become people if we're not careful, just like those people that we never wanted to be like. In fact, most of our greatest regrets in this life is how you and I responded to pain and hurtful people in this life. Let me say that again. Most of our greatest regrets in this life, most of our guilt comes from you and I not being prepared and then how we reacted and responded to pain and mean people in our life. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. But one of our main obstacles in this life is this, and remember this this morning. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. It's our own ego. Several years ago, before I was pastoring the Water's Edge Church, I was over another organization. And not too long after I'd gotten to that organization, I was leading that organization, one of our staff members had to be let go for moral reasons. So this man did something morally wrong, and because of that, I had to let them go. I had to terminate this person. And this person started to lash out at me for that. And they started to tell people that I handled the whole situation wrong and all that kind of stuff, and they just went on the attack. And so this person did something wrong. And then they were attacking me who didn't do something wrong in that situation for how I was handling the situation. And that's what manipulative people do. When someone's a manipulator, this is what they do. They try to distract from their shame by attacking other people. And so they did something wrong and they want to make you feel bad about it. And that's what he was trying to do. And I remember my first thought was, how dare he try to make me feel bad for something he did? I'm not going to feel bad for something someone else did just because of how I responded to what they did. And so, man, my first reaction was, I'm going to get you back. And then I can remember specifically God speaking to my heart. And this is what I felt like God said, don't retaliate, follow me. And so, man, in my heart, that's what I purposed I would do. And so I met with this person. I offered this person to go to counseling for this person and their entire family. I tried to show love, kindness, and he still stayed mad and he still stayed angry. But the one thing it did do is it released me. In that moment, I had the assurance in my heart that I did the loving thing and the right thing and the forgiving thing. But my ego was saying, don't you dare show love and kindness and forgiveness to someone who's trying to make you feel bad for something they did. Don't you dare do that. Show them strength in this moment. But then I began to think, honestly, what is strength? Like really, in situations like this, what would be considered strength? What would be considered strong? Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And so Jesus literally is nailed to the cross by his executors for my sin and for yours too. And the one thing he said was, Father, forgive all of them, forgive them. That's pretty strong. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgive each other as Christ forgave you. I don't know about you, that's pretty strong. Colossians 3, 13 through 14. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others above all. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds all of us together in perfect harmony. Forgive anyone who offends you because the Lord forgave you. 
Don't know about you, but that sounds pretty strong. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When was the last time that was our first reaction? That's pretty strong. But today, I actually want to talk to you about forgiveness and unforgiveness and what forgiveness truly is in the Bible and in our life. And there's another interesting story in the Old Testament that teaches us a very powerful lesson about unforgiveness and about a lack of self-control. And it's about the strong warrior in Israel and his name was Samson. And Samson's life is really a lesson in this And we pointed this out last week, and this is what his life teaches us, that sometimes what you want immediately can get in the way of how you want your life to end up ultimately in the future. At this time, the Israelites were in constant battles with the Philistine people. And Israelites back then, they didn't intermarry with other pagan tribes because they didn't want to bring idol worship into their faith and their worship of Yahweh, uh, Jehovah God. They didn't want to bring idol worship into that. And so they were pretty much forbidden to marry outside of their faith. But Samson wanted what he wanted it, and he married one of them. He married a Philistine woman. Notice this, Judges 14, verses 1 through 3. One day when Samson was in Timah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry, they asked? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines and find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. Sometimes what you want immediately will destroy how you want your life to end up ultimately. Samson, they're trying to tell him, his parents, this isn't the way to go. Just like we talked about Abigail last week and how she spoke into David's preferred future and he needed to listen to her because she was trying to talk sense into him. His parents right now are saying, listen, you're trying to give into the immediate. And if you give into this immediate temptation, it could possibly destroy your future and how you want your life to end up. Listen to us. But Samson says this, I want what I want and I want it right now. This is what I'm going to do. So he marries her. Again, sometimes what you want right now will get in the way of how you want your life to end up down the road. Well, he marries her. She betrays Samson. The Philistines betray Samson. Samson goes on this violent rampage. People die. And because of that, the Philistines kill his wife to try to stop all the chaos. And it just makes it worse. And violence just goes back and forth, back and forth. Then Samson marries another woman from the Philistines. Her name was Delilah. Judges 16, 4 through 6. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you a thousand pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. So they go to Delilah and say, Entice Samson and tell him where his strength comes from. So he was this warrior. He was a judge in Israel at this time, and he was strong. He could not be defeated because he was so powerful. And this is why. He had long hair because he had taken the Nazarite vow to not cut his hair. And because of his obedience to not cut his hair, God gave him this amazing strength. But the day he cuts his hair, his strength is gone. So eventually, after several attempts of Delilah trying to get him to tell her his secret, he eventually gives in and tells her his secret. Meanwhile, 
the attacks and the violence between Samson and the Philistines just go back and forth. At one time, he captures hundreds of foxes. He lights their tails on fire and lets them loose in their grain fields and it destroys all of their crops. Another time, he picked up a jawbone of a donkey off of the ground and he killed a thousand Philistines in one day with the jawbone of a donkey. And then when he was done, he went home and he wrote a song about it. And so now... Now he finally tells Delilah what's the secret to his strength. She tells the Philistines, they break in while he's sleeping. They cut his hair and now he's a captured prisoner of the Philistines. So now he's captured. He's in chains. They pluck out his eyes. He's blind. He can't go anywhere. So this mighty warrior gave in to this immediate temptation and then he lost his strength because he broke his obedience to God and now he's a prisoner. That's how it always works in our life. We give in to the immediate temptation, it breaks our walk with God, and then we become prisoners. Notice what happens. Notice how the story ended up, and it did not end up remarkable. It ended up very, very predictable. Judges 16, we start in verse 25. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them, and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the entire temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people and the Philistine rulers were there and there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again or one more time, O God. Please strengthen me just one more time with one blow. Let me pay back. Let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died that day than he had his entire lifetime. Later, his brothers and other relatives went down to get his body. They took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Ashtaol, where his father, Moan, was buried. Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. He's blind. He's in chains. He's a prisoner. He's angry. And in one last birth of strength and revenge, everyone dies, including him. And this is how the story ends. This is how it ends. Everyone gets hurt. And that's usually the road that you and I take when we're hurting due to what someone else has done to us. We want everyone to feel the same pain that we're feeling. We want everyone to feel the same hurt that we're feeling. And like Samson and the Philistines, unforgiveness goes back and forth, back and forth, evil for evil, hurt for hurt, offense for offense. You hurt me, so I'm going to get you back. And when we do this, the story is the same every single time. It's not remarkable. It's predictable. And it just creates more and more hurt for everyone involved. But why did this ultimately happen? Well, let me tell you why. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. When you follow your ego, you can't let it go. Remember that today. When you follow your ego, you can't let it go. It's our pride that gets in the way every single time. My pride will always tell me this and remember this today. I did not deserve what you did to me, so I'm gonna teach you a lesson by getting you back. 
That's what your ego and your pride tells you every single time. But does this ever work? Does this ever stop the cycle? Does this ever stop the pain? Does this ever stop the hurt when we get them back? No, when our ego kicks in and we get them back, guess what happens to them? Their ego kicks in and they get us back and then we just repay evil for evil, hurt for hurt, offense for offense, and the anger just keeps growing. Now, the question we have to ask today is this, though, because this is what we're battling with. What is forgiveness? What is real forgiveness? Because let me tell you what God does not expect you to do. Have you ever heard that, that very popular saying, forgive and forget? Forgive and forget. Is that possible? And does God ever expect you to forgive and forget? Let me give you an answer to that really quickly. Nope. That's not possible whatsoever. It's impossible to forget but it's not impossible to forgive and they are never tied together. And let me tell you why, remember this today. Trauma and hurt from others is processed internally. When something very hurtful happens to you, that's something that happens to you. But the pain that you feel is what you feel on the inside. And how you process that pain is what you do on the inside. You feel that pain, you feel that hurt in your heart, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your emotions, in your memories. They're constantly there, they cannot be erased. They can't be forgotten about. Some of you have been hurt so severely that you'll never forget about it. But that doesn't mean that you cannot forgive. There will be constant reminders in your life over and over and over again of how other people have treated you, offended you, hurt you, rejected you, and betrayed you. So if you think that in order to forgive that you must forget, if you think that in order to forgive that you must be close to that person again who hurts you, or you have to overlook the pain that they've caused you, or you have to let them continually close to you in this life to run all over you, none of that is true. None of that is true. It's not biblical. It's not even logical. For some of the hurt that you've experienced at the selfishness of other people, it'll take you years to process, years to overcome years to heal from. There'll be constant reminders year after year that this happened. And so just to forget about it is not logical. And so to try to drop it, which is the advice that most people give you, man, drop it, drop it, drop it, is just not possible. So what is biblical forgiveness? That's the question we need to ask today. Matthew 6, 11 through 12. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Matthew 6, 11 through 12. And so right here, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. His disciples ask him, teach us how to pray. And so he gives us the model prayer. This isn't the Lord's prayer. It's the model prayer. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Now that word sin means trespasses. And this is what it means to trespass. It means to cross the line. In other words, God, forgive me for those times when I've crossed the line with you. But that also demands that I have to forgive those who have crossed the line with me. But what does that mean? What does it mean for me to forgive those people that have crossed the line with me and trespassed in my life? First Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you a blessing. This is what forgiveness is. Don't repay evil for evil because that's the game that our ego traps us in. My pride says to get you back. So what is biblical forgiveness today? This is it. If you're ready for it, say I'm ready. Here you go. Forgiveness is when you simply refuse to get revenge. 
Forgiveness is when you simply refuse to get them back. That's biblical forgiveness. That's it. Now, everyone look right here. I've had so many people tell me something similar to this so many times when talking about the subject of forgiveness and unforgiveness. And this is what most people say. I'm really trying hard to forgive, but I can't stop thinking about the hurt. And I can't stop feeling the hurt. And I just can't let them close to me again. Well, this is what's happening. Forgiveness is not the issue that you're struggling with. That's not what you're dealing with. You're not dealing with forgiveness because forgiveness is simply you letting go of your desire and your actions to retaliate. And most of the people that I've talked to who've told me, Tony, I'm having a really hard time forgiving because I can't let go of the hurt. They're not trying to get revenge. They're not trying to retaliate. They're just trying to move on with their life, but the pain is still there. And so they're deceived into thinking that they haven't forgiven that person because they're still hurting. And that's simply not true. Biblical forgiveness is simply when you stop paying them back evil for evil and you don't get revenge. This is what we're actually dealing with when we're still dealing with the hurt and the pain. If you're still with me, Sam, so still with you. Remember this today. Your heart, your esteem, and your ego has been hurt and it's bothering you that they may not be hurting like you are. That's what you're really dealing with. What you're not dealing with is biblical forgiveness because if you're not actively trying to get them back and get revenge, you've forgiven them. What you're dealing with is a wounded heart and a wounded ego. And you're secretly suffering because you're thinking that they're probably not hurting as bad as you are. And so as you process this pain, it doesn't seem fair to you. And so, and so it, it's hard to get it out of your mind. And ultimately, that's about a wounded heart. And wounded pride. And so this is our challenge when dealing with hurt. You do not have to be a doormat for these people in your life ever again. God's not calling you to do that. You don't have to let these people continually hurt you. You don't have to let these people continually back into your life. You don't have to drop your boundaries that you have with toxic people. You don't have to forget about what they've done to you. And you don't have to be best friends with them again. But the one thing you must do, you must forgive them by not getting them back. You must forgive them by not getting revenge. You must forgive them by not repaying evil for evil and hurt for hurt and offense for offense and insult for insult and leave them in God's hands. Forgiving a mean person does not erase the consequences that they've done to you or other people. It simply does this and remember this today. Forgiveness takes their consequences out of your hands and it places them in the hands of God. That's so powerful and it's so true. When you forgive, then it takes their consequences out of your hands because you're going to mess it up. And it places their consequences in the hands of God. When God deals with people, he deals with people to change them for the better. When we deal with people, we deal with people to hurt them worse than how they've hurt us. God does it better. Let me say that again. When God deals with people, he deals with those people that you don't even like and that have hurt you to change them for the better so they don't do that again. When we deal with people... We deal with people through pain and vendetta and revenge. God's ways are always better than ours. So again, we follow the example of Jesus. We drop our ego and we forgive. And this is what that means to drop our ego and forgive. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. And I'll leave you with this passage today. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Doesn't that encourage you to know that at the end of the day, even if people walk out, you still have Jesus. He's still there. He's still holding on to you. He still loves you. He's always going to be there to fellowship with you by his spirit. He's never going to run away from you. We run away from him, but he's not going to do that 
to you? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy, Paul says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Be humble. Boy, if our society could use anything from the scripture today, it would be that. Be humble and think of others as better than yourselves. Look out for the welfare of others. Don't look out only for your own interest. My, my, my. We need to put that on a billboard in Lake Charles. The words of God's word. Don't just look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must, if you say that you follow Jesus, have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And this is what it was, if you're ready for it, say I'm ready. That though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, he was letting go of his personal feelings and his personal wants and his personal rights. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. His divine rights, Jesus gave them up. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. When you live this way, when you live a life of humility, love, kindness, forgiveness, when you're always trying to ask yourself this question, how would Jesus want me to respond? What does Jesus want me to think about this situation? How does Jesus want me to react? What does Jesus want me to do? How does Jesus want me to resist this or stay away from this? When you constantly live with that conviction going over and over and over again in your mind, then you're not going to simply just get revenge on someone because it's going to feel too dark to you on the inside. You're not going to have hatred in your heart. It's going to feel too dark. It can't exist there if you're following Christ. You're not going to hold on to your resentment. You're not not going to let your ego get the best of you and you're not going to constantly put your life before others because when you look at other people you see someone that Jesus loves and Jesus died for and Jesus cares for and he forgave them too and so that leads us to forgive and follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ if we did that we would have more peace in our heart than we could ever explain and if we did that when people looked at our life they would see God I don't know about you, but I want people to see God when they look at me and how I love and how I forgive. We love you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope to see you back next week. Also, if you want to worship with us live and in person, every Sunday we're back open at 930 and 1115. Have a great week.